So how do you, how do you go deeper? We've been talking uh, the last couple of weeks, we've talked uh, a lot about doing, things that, that God wants us to do and how we engage and how we, how we are to, to make disciples and be out in the world and uh, that there are things that God uh, desires us uh, to actively uh, participate in and do. Uh, so today I want to talk a little bit about the other side of the coin and not doing so much as being, uh, but we'll, before we finish today, we'll, we'll get into some, some doing uh, because of your being. Um, but what, what does it mean, really? What does it look like to go deeper? Um, and I would suggest that, that going deeper with the Lord has, has everything to do with engaging it has everything to do with engaging God with your spirit and not, not just your mind. It, it does have to do with engaging God with your mind. We're, we're certainly not thoughtless. You need to contemplate. You need to ponder on the Lord. You need to meditate on his word. Uh, but it also has to do with engaging uh, with your spirit and your mind and being willing to let go uh, of where you are. And, and sometimes that's the hardest thing. Uh, we get into a place that we like. And we get comfortable there, and we, we tend to be creatures of, of habit. Uh, we don't necessarily like change. I don't know if y'all have noticed that or not. Um, but we don't tend to like change. But in order to go forward, and, and in fact, in order to grow and, and go deeper, uh, requires not just taking hold of what's ahead of us, but sometimes it letting go uh, of what is behind us and even letting go of the place uh, that we're currently in. And we, we like to let go of things that, that we don't like, but sometimes we have to let go of things that we actually like and have become comfortable with in order uh, to increase. Uh, I don't know if you guys, I don't, I don't even, I don't know. I mean, I just, I just got out of school. I'm 61 years old and it just took me longer than it takes most people. But um, when I was younger, Back in, in high school, and especially in middle school, I think middle school is a time when schools particularly like to punish students. And, and so I, as a middle schooler, had to do book reports. Y'all, book report people, y'all remember? Do they still do book reports? Yes. Oh, my gosh. So we had to stand up in front of the class, right, and, and do a book report. And, and, and I have two memorable stories of book reports, and neither of them are books that I, book reports that I gave or books that I read, but two of my friends, one was a guy named Robert Montgomery, and, and Robert did a book report on the red pony. And I remember him saying uh, that it was odd to him that the name of the book was The Red Pony because in his words, uh, the red pony up and died on page 39. <laughs> That's what he said. Uh, so what if you started your story by dying? What if you started your story by dying? Uh, uh, the other memorable book report uh, that I, I have in my memory bank is David, uh, David Nixon. <laughs> and all of these names I'm just throwing out onto the internet. Um, but friends, I still love you. Hope you love me. Uh, David Nixon made up a book book didn't exist. It was one of the best book reports I've ever heard. It should have been a book. Um, it just wasn't. So uh, I would say that, that sometimes going deeper means that you die early. 
Sometimes going deeper, always actually going deeper, means that it's the real story. You know, a lot of us have a story that we wish was true about ourselves. But in order to go deeper with the Lord, we have to embrace what's real. We have to embrace the real story. And, and no matter how difficult it is, even the hard parts, uh, you know, the, the difficult parts, the ugly parts, we have to be willing to be honest with God and honest with ourselves. You know, for some, Christianity is just a book. Uh, for some, Christianity is just a book report. Uh, they read the book, they quote the book, they memorize the book, they live by the book, and it sounds okay, but uh, even though they know the story, they're not really in the story. Uh, and the problem with a book report is that you're just telling someone else's story. And uh, telling a story is good, but being in a story is better. Uh, the scribes uh, tell us uh, what they've read. The prophets tell us what they've seen and heard. And the voice of the scribe is loud, but the world longs for the voice of the prophet. Because the voice of the prophet brings life and it brings blessing. Uh, I don't know if you figured this out yet about, about the lost, lost, unchurched, however you want to uh, label them. Um, they want to know what's behind the veil. They really do. They, they want to know what's behind the veil. And, and a lot of times we get lost in the weeds because we're so focused on the facts we want them to understand the facts. Uh, but what they really want to know is, is there something behind the veil? You know what's behind the veil, right? A person. A person. The person of God. Uh, they want to know what, what's back there, what's behind the curtain. Um, Christianity is not so much about understanding principles as it is engaging a person. Now, sound doctrine is important. It's incredibly important. If you know me, you know that uh, I'm, a, I'm a theologian at heart, and I want things to be right. I, I'm a one on the Enneagram, for better or worse, and I, I believe that there's a right way and a wrong way for everything. And, and I, I want everything done the right way, painfully so, to some of my closest friends and those who live in my house, which actually happens to just be one other person. Um, sound doctrine is very important. Uh, if you don't believe right, it, chances are you, you won't live right. But we, we have to understand, we have to grasp the purpose of sound doctrine. Uh, the purpose of, of sound doctrine is not so that you can believe right. The purpose of sound doctrine is because it leads us to encounter. See, see, it's not even, the purpose of sound doctrine is not even necessarily that you would live right. It's that you would encounter, it leads you into encounter with God, and it's encounter with God that allows you to live right. You can't even, you know, no matter how hard you try, you can't live right without encounter. Because it's 
encounter with God, it's actually the presence of the Spirit of God within us that allows us, empowers us to live the way God has called us to live. You can have good doctrine and still miss the point. You can. You can have good doctrine and still miss God. Uh, In John chapter 5, Jesus said this, uh, verse 39, you studied the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you possess eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Uh, Scribes were the experts. They were the experts in the law. They were the experts uh, in the Old Testament, in the Torah. They were experts. And the problem with experts is that sometimes all experts have is knowing, and, and they may be good at knowing, and not so good at going. Now, I want to read you a couple of words from some experts. This, this is from a great little book. I, I, I probably, it's Chris Valentin. I probably shouldn't call it a little book. Um, Chris is a great writer, and it's, it's got a substantial number of pages, over 200. Um, so it's not, not, it's not that little. Um, but it's a great book, Heavy Rain. How, any of you read Heavy Rain? Uh, I read it a couple of times, and I just opened it back up again. Uh, this weekend, uh, and glance at some things. Let me give you some words from experts. Computers in the future may weigh no more than one and a half tons. That was in Popular Mechanics in 1949. I think there is a world market for maybe five computers. That was the chairman of IBM in 1943. I've traveled the length and breadth of this country and talked with the best people. I can assure you that data processing is a fad that won't last out the year. That was from an editor in charge of business books for Prentice Hall in 1957. $640,000 ought to be enough for anyone. Bill Gates, 1981. This telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. The device is inherently of no value to us. Western Union, 1876. The concept is interesting and well-formed, but in order to earn better than a C, the idea must be feasible. This is from a Yale University management professor in response to Fred Smith's paper proposing reliable overnight delivery. He later founded Federal Express. Yeah, interesting. We don't like their sound. And guitar music is on the way out. That was Decca Recording Company on why they rejected the Beatles in 1962. And then finally, Ken Olson, president, chairman, founder of Digital Equipment Corps, 1977, said, 
There is no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. They're all experts, right? And, and to be fair with them, some of them figured out later that there was more. Uh, but the problem with focusing just on knowing is that we get stuck. Uh, we're created not just to know, but we're, we're created to go. We're created uh, to increase. Uh, the point of Christianity is not just having sound doctrine. It, the point of Christianity is knowing God. Knowing God, experiencing him. Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Uh, so the essence of Christianity is knowing the person of God, not just knowing about God, not just getting the facts straight. As, as important as sound doctrine is, getting the facts straight just makes you a scribe. But encountering God, meeting him, and not just meeting him, but also continuing to pursue him even after you've found him. Paul knew Jesus. He knew Jesus. He met him on the road uh, to Damascus. He met him. He met Jesus there. But he continued throughout his life to have as the cry of his, of his heart to know him. So even though he had met him, he continued to want to know him. And many of us, once we've met him, we just rest there. Because after all, our sins are forgiven and we're going to heaven, right? So what else is there? A lot. A lot. Uh, Paul knew Jesus. The cry of his heart was to know him more. David knew God. The cry of his heart was to know him more. The cry of his heart was for the joy of the Lord, the presence of the Lord. Uh, Moses it's a great example. Moses knew God. He talked to God. He saw him do miraculous things. And still, he pressed in for more. And, and the important thing to note about Moses' persistence in having more, experiencing more, and wanting more, and even asking for more, is that God liked it. God liked it. When Moses pressed deeper, God liked it. So one of the miracles of the Christian faith is that God calls us not just to pursue him in order to catch him, but he calls us to pursue him. He lets us catch him, and that encounter makes us want him even more. So I, I, would, I would describe the Christian, the Christian life as a life that is wonderfully, a life of wonderfully satisfying dissatisfaction. Wonderfully satisfying dissatisfaction. Encountering God, knowing God, experiencing God is incredibly satisfying and dissatisfying at the same time. It's incredibly satisfying, but it always leads you wanting more. It's the very nature of relationship with God. So today we're just going to talk about a couple of things uh, that can help us go deeper. Uh, when Paul talks about uh, going deeper. One of, the, one of the verses that we like to look at is in Philippians. So let's throw this up here and we can look at this. This is Philippians 3, beginning at verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So, uh, what does it take? To, if you want to go deeper, what, what are some things that we can do, some things that we can give ourselves to in order to go deeper? And, and one thing that Paul mentions is forgetting what's behind. Uh, and this may be, uh, for many, maybe even for most, the most difficult thing is forgetting what is behind. And uh, some struggle with leaving uh, the past, and, and more, I think, struggle with forgetting the past. Uh, forgetting the past, forgetting what's, what's behind. Uh, uh, so many struggle with shame. Uh, we feel shame over things from the past, and it causes a wall between us and God, and it really keeps us from that intimacy that we want and desire with God because we, we can't forget about who we were and things that we've done. And um, so a lot of people struggle uh, with shame, over what we've done. Others struggle with disappointment over things that haven't happened. And maybe even our disappointment is in some ways directed towards God because we thought, you know, like the, the song we sang earlier, we, we thought this wall would be down by now. You know, we prayed and we, and we marched around and, and we went seven times and we thought surely this wall would be disappeared. We thought certainly corona would last two weeks right? And everything will be back to normal. And, and, and sometimes disappointment that things haven't happened the way we want them to happen or in the time that we want them to happen uh, can keep us uh, from going deeper. It can cause a wall between us and God. And then other times hurt, hurt from the past. You know, things that have happened to us, what others have done uh, in particular, uh, the way that, that we've been treated, things that people have said and done. And I believe that there is a place in the kingdom of God, there is a place of wonderful remembering. There is a place that God wants to bring you to, a place of wonderful remembering. Uh, forgetting, when, when Paul says, forgetting what is past, don't misunderstand what he's saying. He's not really saying forgetting. Paul never forgets who he had been. He never does. But it doesn't own him. He says many times, I, I was the chief of sinners. I was the worst. I was the worst of the worst. But it doesn't own him. It doesn't control him. 
And so it's not forgetting as we think of as forgetting. It's leaving it. Leaving it in the past and going on. Paul never forgot who he had been, but he left that person in the past. And so one of the first things, if you want to go deeper with the Lord, one of the first things we have to do is is forgive ourselves, forgive others, and receive the wonderful forgiveness of God. And and those things are connected. And the the prayer that we read this morning, the Lord's Prayer, he says, you know, we forgive those who've sinned against us. Forgive us just like we forgive them. Because there's this incredible connection that exists between us forgiving ourselves, us forgiving others, and us receiving the forgiveness of God. So number one is to forget what's behind. And then the second thing is to engage spiritual disciplines as a pathway to encounter. Uh, Spiritual disciplines are sometimes called practices. And I would rather than calling them practices, I would rather call them purposes. Spiritual purposes. Because they are practices with a purpose. And the purpose of the practices is not to check a box and say, have my quiet time. Check my, I can check the box. I read my Bible today. I prayed today. And I said, thank you. And yes, ma'am, I can check all of these boxes. That's not the purpose of spiritual disciplines. It's not box checking. Uh, spiritual disciplines are practices or purposes, practices with the purpose. And the purpose is, again, encounter, engagement. We read the Bible not just to know about God because reading the Bible is meant to lead us into encounter with God, uh, to know Him. Uh, We pray uh, not just to say that we prayed, but we pray because prayer is intended to, to create actual conversation with God where we encounter the living God. We worship for no other reason except that he's worthy. But because he's so generous, when we worship, he gives himself to us. He doesn't have to, and it doesn't legitimize worship for God to give to us. Worship is perfectly legitimate if all it is is us saying that he's worthy, because he is. That's all worship has to be, is us acknowledging that God is God and that he is holy and that we are not. That's all it has to be. But because he's so incredibly generous, when we do that, he gives of himself. And so a byproduct of worship becomes, again, encounter. But being intentional in these spiritual purposes being intentional in them, not just going through the motions and not just checking the boxes and saying, did that, did that, did that, but being purposeful and intentional about encountering God and engaging his purpose. I would say that unless we are intentionally increasing, we are unintentionally decreasing. So on purpose, engage God. And the third thing is be willing to let go of where you are. Now, this is easy if you're in a bad place. Not so easy if you're in a good place. But it's not just about forgetting where you were, but it's holding loosely where you are. 
so that God can call you into new things. Obviously, we want to let go of sin, and we want to let go of bad habits, but also we want to learn to let go of the comfortable. I, I like comfortable. I have, I have a couple of chairs in my house. I don't want anybody else to sit in because, you know, they might change the shape that fits me so well because I like comfortable. But I want, I want in my life with God, in my relationship with Him, I want to be willing not to get so comfortable where I am that I miss what He has for me. And so I want to hold loosely the comfortable places, hold loosely where I am in order to go forward with Him. And, and what that means is that, number four, I, I will have to time, at times risk something. I'll have to risk something, take a chance. You know, there was a, a group of guys who had a friend who needed to get before Jesus, and they couldn't get him before Jesus, and they had two choices. They could stand outside and hope, or they could cut a hole in the roof. They could take a risk. They could cut a hole in the roof and maybe get in trouble. I mean, it's not their roof, right? They took a chance. They took a risk. They cut a hole in the roof. And the result was that their friend was healed. And they've been talked about now for 2,000 years. If they, if they had stood outside and hoped, we probably never would have heard of them. There was a lady who came to worship the Lord, and she had a jar of perfume, and it was very expensive, and she could keep that jar of perfume for a later date, maybe sell it, give the money to the poor and never be heard about. Or she could pour out the perfume on the feet of Jesus and risk being ridiculed. Well, guess what happened? She was ridiculed. But she risked it. She risked pouring out the perfume. She risked the ridicule. And she was ridiculed. And guess who defended her? Jesus. Of all people. And so now... Jesus himself said, everywhere my story is told, her story will be told. What? Because she was willing to risk. There's a woman who had an issue of blood, and she could use that as an excuse and say, I can't get to him because I have this condition. She could use it as an excuse or... She could take a risk, and she risked probably on her hands and knees crawling through a crowd just to touch his cloak, and she was healed. I believe that the halls of heaven will be filled with saints of God who risked what they had so others could have what they lacked. I believe that Peter and John did this when they risked being arrested multiple times because they knew that the gospel needed to be preached and the sick needed to be healed. I believe that Paul did this. He suffered so many things in so many different places and ways because he knew that the gospel had to be preached. I believe that Martin Luther did this when he stood up to the Catholic Church because he knew that salvation was through faith and not uh, through buying and selling indulgences. I believe that John Wesley did this when he realized that 
Christianity was about an encounter with God because he realized through the warming of his own heart that God had died for him, that Jesus had died for him, and that his sins, even his, were forgiven. And he began to preach a message that was not sterile and clerical, but a message that was personal. And every door in England, every church door in England was closed to him because he preached this message and he stood on tree stumps and tombstones and preached outdoors, which was considered a huge faux pas because he knew that the message had to be preached. There are civil rights leaders uh, in, who are, some are still alive and many, many have gone on to be with the Lord who risked what they had so that those who lacked, those who, who had not, could have a better life in the future. Here's what Ronald Reagan said. To sit back hoping that someday, some way, someone will make things right is to go on feeding the crocodile hoping he will eat you last. Sometimes we have to take a chance and it may mean doing something that we've never done. It may be something, you know, phenomenal uh, that some of, like, like some of these people I've mentioned. It could be that you just need to take a step in an area that is uncomfortable for you. And it may not even seem like a big deal to anybody else, and it could absolutely change your life. I remember one time somebody, we were doing a fire tunnel in here, and, and this girl came to the mouth of the tunnel, and she looked at me with her eyes big as saucers, and she said, this is my first time. She was so nervous. She'd never been through a fire tunnel before. And it radically, it, it, it erupted her life. It interrupted her life and it erupted in her life. It just was life-changing because she was willing to step in and do something scary. For some of you, um, being in a corporate setting like this is not where you thrive. Being in a small group is where you thrive. And I would say don't give up the small group. That's where you thrive, stay in the small group. But maybe engage in larger settings in ways that you haven't before. Um, for some of you, you say, I, I'd rather be in the big group. Those is small groups that make me, uh, people ask you stuff. They, like, they want to like talk to you. And I always say, if that's you, you probably need to get in a small group. I think it would, it would be great. I, and I know that because I'm one of those people. But getting into a small group where you go places that maybe normally in your comfort zone you wouldn't go. There are people in this church, and, and one of the things that we do on a regular basis, and we're, we're going to do it today actually, but one of the things that we have done through our history is pray for people ministry time at the end of our services. And there are people in this church who have never come to the front and been prayed for. 
I don't know, maybe your life is just so amazing, you've never needed prayer. Or maybe, that's kind of scary. If, if, you, if it's scary to you, that's a reason to do it. Not a reason not to do it. I remember, I remember the first time I danced in worship. It wasn't pretty. Still not pretty. But something inside of me broke that day in, in a good way. And I've, I've never been the same. Worship's never been the same for me. And so some of you have never moved in worship. Maybe you need to move a little bit. Some of you can't be still. Maybe you need to not move so much. You know, some of you can't worship if you don't dance, and some of you can't dance in worship. And, and if you can't worship without dancing, you need to just be still for a minute. Because what you don't ever want to say when it comes to your relationship with God is that's just the kind of person I am. Because that's, that will settle you into a spot and not allow you to move. So instead of, ask, instead of saying, I'm just not that kind of person, why don't you instead ask, what kind of God do I have? And am I willing to take some chances, to, to risk some things in order to go deeper? Do I trust him enough to believe that if I worshiped, if I danced in worship one time, it wouldn't ruin my life? Or do I trust him enough that if I didn't dance, it wouldn't mean that I lost that gift forever? Go for prayer, ask for gifts, believe God fulfilling. Find out where he's moving and go there. Uh, do something maybe that costs you something. That gives to others and all it does for you is allow you to go deeper. So be willing to risk. Be willing to hold loosely where you are. Because we don't want to settle we're not settlers. We're pioneers. We want everything God has. Now, we're gonna, um, I'm going to invite Mike up to lead us uh, in a time of ministry, and uh, he'll explain how we're going to do that. Um, our worship people are going to come back up here and lead us in, in some worship. Uh, John, and Alyssa, let me just say, John, thank you to John and Alyssa. Austin is on vacation. and uh, Our worship leader pool is very deep, and we're thankful uh, to John and Alyssa. Yeah. And, uh, that's a, a testimony to Austin's leadership that we have so many. Uh, so Mike's going to explain to you where we're headed from here, and uh, this should be fun.